So um, before we get stuck into the preach, I mentioned at the beginning of this new series that we're doing that after eight years, Bianca and I are going to be going on a sabbatical and starting this week. So this is the last time that I'm going to be standing up here for a while. And uh, I hope you're all heartbroken. And um, <laughs> I also hope that you're all got full confidence in Craig, our leadership team, our staff. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, uh, Craig and I have been talking about what he's going to be preaching about in November and December, and you guys are in for some good stuff. So please uh, come full of faith, and God is going to continue doing what he does, which is build his church. While we're away, I mentioned to you that some of the things we're going to be doing is, um, so the last series that we did as a church was a reason for everything. And I'm going to be taking some time and, and turning that into a book because I really feel like God just needs to stretch me in new different ways. And so that's one of the things that I'm going to be doing. On that, though, um, I've taken that entire series and I've turned that into a resource for Riverside Community Church. So it's basically in a PDF form. It's uh, readable, so it's not an exact transcript of the sermon series. So if you've forgotten to write anything down or because I was motoring ahead and you were on point two and I was on point eight, it's fine. It's all in there for you. Um, it's going to be available via email. It's going to be available on the app. And uh, I hope that you just feel encouraged as a church, uh, but I'm going to be turning that, uh, taking it a few steps further into a book. Uh, we're also going to be visiting a church in the States that has really encouraged me, spending time with the leadership uh, team, that summer church in North Carolina. We're looking forward to that. And of course, we're just going to uh, have some deep rest as a family. So pray for us during this time. And uh, I'm expecting to come back with uh, fresh energy. Not that I don't have energy right now. I still feel as excited about Riverside as I did eight years ago. However, we just feel like God is going to reconfigure some things in our lives, come back with fresh energy and fresh vision for Riverside. And yeah, that's, I think, what I wanted to say. So um, yeah, pray for us, and we'll be praying for you most certainly. But going to our series, we're in our uh, final part of the series called, um, not get real, called Relation Slips. And you know, this last week, I, I was just thinking about how amazing it is that our bodies self-heal. I mean, our family have, has, has been in the wars lately. Nate's got this massive scratch on the side of, of his face, so close to his eye. Levi twisted his ankle badly last week. Bianca burnt her finger badly on a gas stove. I was in hospital a few years ago. And it's just amazing to watch. What did I say? What did I say? A few years ago. No, a few months ago. <laughs> it's just amazing to see how the body heals, that the body knows exactly what it needs to do to heal itself. I mean, you and I, we all start off as two cells. Two cells, one from mom, one from dad, and those cells multiplied, and those cells multiplied, and those cells multiplied and diversified, and from these two cells, we get hair, and we get eyeballs, and we get nose, and I need a little bit more hair, so hopefully more multiplication is happening, uh, and then we get our entire body. And somehow programmed into the system is this ability to detect when something goes wrong, and then the body sends things to go fight that. Apparently, every single second, uh, over 2.5 million red blood cells are being made. 250,000 white blood cells are being made. So when you cut your finger, man, things start bleeding, but then a scab forms, you heal, and eventually that scab comes off and your finger is as good as new. 
That's what happened to Nate's face. And um, if, you, if there's an infection, your white blood cells, your brain goes, go send the white blood cells to the infection in your toe or whatever. And, and again, that, your body is fighting off these infections. The body is absolutely amazing. Apparently, up to two-thirds of your liver could be cut away and you'll be right as rain. And what's more than that is your liver will regrow in a few months and you've got a full liver again. Neuroscientists are starting to discover in the last hundred years ago just how malleable the brain is and how through neuroplasticity your brain can reform and regrow and have new channels which to think we are literally renewed and transformed in our minds. This is incredible, amazing stuff. And what's so amazing is you don't have to make this happen. If there's an infection in your toe, you don't have to wake up in the morning and somehow will inside of you the white blood cells to go to your toe. Your body just does that. Of course, your brain is involved. But our bodies are absolutely amazing. Uh, I wish my car had the ability to do that. Because even when I do apply my brain, I still have no clue what's going on. Now, one of the ways God's church is described is the body of Christ. The body of Christ. And in the same way that no one plans to get hurt. No one plans for something in your body to stop working. No one plans for a scratch on your face. However, it happens and your body self-corrects and brings healing to itself. In the same way, when it comes to our relationships, relationships, sometimes these relationships go wrong. They slip and fall and somebody gets hurt. And in the same way, we don't plan for those things. No one wakes up planning to be malicious, planning to betray or be betrayed. And yet in the same way, the body of Christ has to have these mechanisms within itself that brings healing. And, and in the same way that my brain is involved and, and uh, I, I don't have to think about where the blood vessels go but, or where the white blood cells go, but nonetheless, my brain is doing this so we need to rely on the head, which is Christ, and the power of Christ within us, and the presence of Christ within us, and the grace within us, so that we can be a healing place, and that when things do go wrong, and there is bleeding, and there is bruising, and there is pain, that somehow the body works in such a way that healing and reconciliation happens. Just like Nate's scratch on his face, sometimes the wounds heal very quickly, And just like my surgery, sometimes that takes ages to heal. Nonetheless, there is this intentional, purposeful way that the body heals itself. So we've spoken about this in a number of different ways in the series. But today we're going to be talking about reconciliation. That point where relationships are healed. We've got this vision of what that could look like. Where there's this reparation of relationships So to help us in this journey, we've been looking at the tiny little book. It's barely one page in the New Testament, the book of Philemon. If you're here for the first time, start at the back of the Bible, work through Revelation. Next big book is Hebrews, and then turn back one page, you'll find the book of Philemon. And uh, we've just been understanding some of the journey that Onesimus and Philemon have been on. I'm not going to recount the whole story, but Philemon had this uh, relationship that went into disrepair with Onesimus. Onesimus, it looks like we don't know exactly what went wrong, but along the way, he took some things, he ran away, 
Paul, he encounters Paul, Paul leads him to the Lord, faith in Christ, and Paul says, Onesimus, I'm gonna lead you back to a fully restored relationship with Philemon. Writes a letter to Philemon, encouraging Philemon to be reconciled. So we've been talking about offenses, necessary, unnecessary offenses. We've been talking about critical conversations. Some of you have been having those, I know, because you've been talking to me about them. We've been talking about forgiveness and the cost that is involved in forgiveness. And today we're ending off with this vision of reconciliation. So let's see how this book gets us there. Uh, Reading from verse 15 in Philemon. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. And to say what we've said every week, that the vision is, hey, Imagine God could take this broken relationship and restore it back, not even to what it was, but to greater levels, to greater strength. And that is what we'd be encouraged by in these verses. Then to read from verse 17. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back myself, not to mention that you owe me your very self. This is where we spoke about forgiveness last week, that when there is an offense, there's a debt in the relationship, and somehow we cannot fully reconcile and forgive until that debt has been paid for. In this case, a third party paid for that debt, and in our case, sometimes we need to bear the cost of that debt if we are to forgive someone. But we also understand that a third party entered our world and paid for our far greater debts, making us forgiveness millionaires in order to be able to forgive the debts that are against us. I'm just cruising through this very quickly, verse 20 to 21. We see that uh, Paul ends off this this letter by saying, listen, Philemon, I know that you are going to go ahead and you are going to do even more, even more. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. I've been told that if you break a bone in your body, that when that bone, bone regrows and reforms, it is stronger than what it was. And I'm just wondering if today is a day that in our broken relationships, we do even more that we go beyond what we've tried, maybe some of the broken, fragile ways that we've tried, maybe getting over some of the ways that we get offended. And I hope that God has been speaking to you and injecting grace and new vision into your imagination as you imagine there's even more for these broken relationships. And I, and I pray that even if there's people on opposite sides of the rooms, and I'm not thinking of anyone in particular here, Man, that you're gonna take a step today. Today's the day that you make a move. Today's the day that you count the cost and you've got great faith for even more in the reconciliation of these relationships. Last week we spoke about forgiveness and uh, forgiveness in many ways is really only about one person. It takes one person to forgive. What makes reconciliation so difficult is that it takes two people. And we're going to discover uh, kind of the complexity about uh, relating forgiveness to full reconciliation. So we're going to look at another passage of Scripture to help us understand what reconciliation can look like. So turn with me, uh, the third easiest uh, part of the Bible to find, Genesis chapter 3. So go right to the front and just page forward and you'll find us there. Um, Genesis chapter 3 records the story of the first ever conflict. 
In this case, it's a conflict between God and man, God and Adam in this case. In particular, Adam's view of things versus God's view of things. And we're going to start reading in the middle of this conflict, and we're going to start seeing how Adam responded versus how God responds. And hopefully we're going to start seeing in ourselves, wow, I tend on average in conflict to respond like Adam. And hopefully this morning God is going to show you how he responds and how he calls us to be God-like in how we respond in conflict. So if you're with me in Genesis chapter 3, let's see how this plays out. So starting at verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And this is so typical of what we do. We cover up and we hide. We try and avoid the conflict. There are so many different ways in which we cover up. Sometimes we try and diminish the thing that we've done. So, oh, how can you get so angry about that? Or we say, well, it's not like I, and then we make up some big scenario, some way bigger sin. It's not like I, you know, killed a hundred people. I only did that. And in some ways, we're trying to diminish the pain. We're trying to diminish our responsibility. We're trying to diminish our involvement in this transgression. So we cover up. Sometimes we cover up by lying. Sometimes we cover up by kind of just reorientating people's uh, uh, attention so they're not seeing our involvement in this conflict. But then we hide as well. We become so good and we all have different ways in which we hide. Some of us hide in work. Some of us hide in the internet. Some of us hide by eating. Some of us hide in TV. Some of us hide by drinking a lot and hoping to numb everything. But hide we do. And we've all got our own ways that we try and cover up or we hide. We're all Adam in so many ways. Instead of speaking up, instead of dealing with the conflicts, we avoid because who wants to run headlong into conflict? I mean, who here loves conflict? Don't put your hand up because you won't have friends after the end of the service. So we avoid, we ignore, we unfriend. We pretend everything's okay by hiding and avoiding. So that's Adam and in so many ways, that's us. But let's see how God responds to this conflict. Verse nine, but the Lord called to the man, where are you? So just stop there. Notice Adam's response was silence, covering up, hiding. What's the first thing God does? God leans in, God speaks, God calls, God reminds Adam of his relationship with God. Where we lean out and unfriend, God leans in and shows love and pursues Adam in his relationship. The first thing God does is he actually acknowledges the elephant in the room. He acknowledges that Adam is hiding. He acknowledges that Adam is avoiding this, but he speaks up. See, often we think that um, we need to find God kind of after the conflict. So me and -and so-and-so are going through a tough time. Okay, right, I need to sort it out, and then I can be cool with God again. I think the point of this is we need to find God in the conflict. We need to recognize that in the mess that Jules and Bianca spoke about this morning, that God's there. That God is speaking, that God is calling us, not to condemn us, but to invite us to his heart, his way of dealing with things, and ultimately to forgiveness and reconciliation. 
I mean, imagine God did in this situation what we do. Again, we just run away from the friendship. We leave the church. We leave the relationship. We unfriend. Uh, Adam would have been left in this downward trajectory that would have gone only one way. Notice what God didn't do here. He didn't, oh, okay, well, there goes that relationship. Let me make more human beings and try with them. Well, that relationship didn't work. Let me make different friends. God renewed his relationship with Adam, stepped in, spoke, pursued, called out, inviting Adam to respond. He says, where are you? He's trying to call Adam to responsibility. He's trying to invite Adam to repentance. Let's see how he does this because he leans in and he continues with a bunch of questions. Uh, Adam says, oh, well, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid And he said, well, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, well, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Notice again, the Adam impulse is to blame. I asked this woman, you gave me. And in one foul swoop, he blames his wife, throws her under the bus and blames God. And then God turns to the woman and says, well, what's going on here? And she blames the enemy. So apparently Adam and Eve are completely innocent in this situation. And don't we try and do that? We try and justify, we try and blame. Oh no, no, it's this, or it's that, or it's him, it's her. And God's calling Adam to responsibility. God's calling Adam to play out the God-given role in his family, in his life. And in the same way, we're going to be called in conflict to speak, but also to responsibility. Fast forward 2,000 years and we've got God pursuing us, pursuing the conflicts. We've got sin separating us and God. And what happens? Well, we're heading one way and Jesus comes down and enters our broken world. Jesus pays the ultimate price for our sin. And again, some of you say, well, Jesus wouldn't have been better for you if you didn't. You wouldn't have gone through that horrible crucifixion. Yes, it might have been better for Jesus. Where would we be though? Maybe some of us need to step into those shoes. Maybe some of us need to make that move. Maybe some of us need to count the cost, take the responsibility for the relationship like God and pursue reconciliation. Again, we do the self-preservation thing. And in doing that, in somehow protecting myself from getting involved in this little messy space, yes, on one hand, you're avoiding conflict, but you're also avoiding the relationship. And you're avoiding the possibility, the possibility of this thing coming together like those bones and healing and being stronger than before. I don't know if you remember, for those of you who are on social media, if you remember those, there's a whole bunch of pictures about Bob that came up. Uh, some of them were Bob, some of them were Bill, some of them were Steve. Uh, particularly loved the Steve ones. Uh, basically, this little stick figure, and there'll be always a little narrative. Some of them went like this. This is Bob. Bob has a girlfriend. Bob doesn't cheat on her, and Bob is kind. Be like Bob. You remember those? There's another one. Bob is on the internet. Bob sees something that offends him. Bob moves on. Bob is smart. Be like Bob. And perhaps we need to observe how God responds in conflicts. This is God. God doesn't hide or cover up or blame. God takes some responsibility for the relationship. God leans in even when it's hard. God is loving. Be like God. And I really believe this is that that invitation this morning. 
to be like the God who is in us, the God who's acted for us in these ways. Last week we mentioned the fact that uh, unhealthy and healthy relationships have about the same amount of conflict on average in them. The difference between healthy and unhealthy relationships is how conflict is resolved. But what I want to speak to you about briefly this morning is that conflict can actually become a stepping stone or a catalyst towards greater strength in the relationship. There's a guy called John Gottman. He started the Gottman Institute in in, uh, Seattle. And this is what he says about conflict being a catalyst for strengthening relationships. He said, conflict, when authentically resolved, meaning doing it well, conflict, when authentically resolved, is a foundational block upon which loyalty and success are built. Mentioned a quote last week. I have no idea who, where I heard it, but uh, the quote goes like this, that conflict is the price we, we pay for intimacy. See, because in conflict, the masks come off. In conflict, in many ways, we're opening up our rib cages. Here's what I'm really thinking. Here's what I'm really feeling. Then we see each other past the masks for the first time. And when we resolve that conflict well, your relationship has the potential for greater strength, greater intimacy. If this happens in a staff team, if this happens in a ministry team, if this happens around the boardroom table, conflict has the potential to take you to a greater strength with high levels of loyalty. So guys, we've got every reason to step in. Why? Because on one hand, we want to be like God. On the other hand, we understand what God has done for us in our conflict. And on the other hand, we recognize that there is potential for greater, a greater win here in these relationships. So let's get super practical. This series has been so practical uh, and has been helpful to me and I know helpful to many of you. We're going to talk about the ABCDEs, so easy to remember, the ABCDEs of resolving conflict towards reconciliation. And I'm borrowing these from a guy called Ken Dyke. He's a pastor. He's also the founder of Freedom Sessions International. And uh, he was talking about the ABCDs of uh, resolving conflicts with the view of reconciliation. So let's start at A. A is to acknowledge the conflict. Acknowledge the conflict. Notice what Adam does. Adam hides. Adam covers up. Adam blames. He does everything but. But we need to learn to speak. We need to learn to speak and lean in, not to run. Again, we we run in so many different ways. We run to work. We run to porn. We run to food. We run to fantasy. We get angry and we blame everybody else instead of actually speaking assertively into the situation. We need to learn how to stop, acknowledge the conflict, and to speak. Last week, we spoke about the fact that some of us can be like rhinos in some contexts. So some of us can't wait to speak up, but we land up running into the conflict and inflicting a great amount of damage. So here's what I want to encourage you this morning. As you acknowledge the conflict, don't pick up the phone or don't get the person opposite a table from you and start off by saying, yeah, you did this and you did that and, and you did this. That's like coming in with a sword, but we also bring a shield into our conflicts. The sword, it's all about, I'm going to combat you. You're my enemy and I'm going to hurt you in the process. And then they start, we know that they're going to respond to hurt us. So we put up the shield. We need to learn maybe with our words and with our approach in conflict to not come with a sword and shield, but to come with a pot of tea. Now, maybe it's not a literal pot of tea. Maybe it's a cup of coffee. Maybe it's a shared experience. Maybe it's a meeting at a coffee shop somewhere. 
You see, the tone is going to be so different. We need to learn to use personal, tentative language. Our goal is to resolve. Our goal is not to attack. Start saying things like, listen, I'm noticing that. I feel like such and such is happening. Or I sense that there's this going on in our relationship. I start to talk about me, how I'm feeling about this conflict. And I invite you into that discussion. I mentioned the Gottman Institute earlier in Seattle. Apparently, they've got a 96% accurate way of determining which way a conflict is going to go in the first three minutes. Depending on how hard or how soft the conflict is opened up. So guys, if you want to radically improve your chances of reconciliation, we need to learn how to come in softly with a pot of tea as opposed to the sword and the shield. Something that we need to give up on in our uh, conflicts and our reconciliation is being so hell-bent on proving who is right and who is wrong. I, I know that that is my default, and when I'm in an immature place, I'm just about proving that I'm right. But this is the question that challenged me. What's more important, being right or being one? Being right or having a reconciled relationship? And so often, I mean, in Adam and God's case, and whenever we have a conflict with God, by the way, let me just tell you in case you never knew this, God is always right and we're always wrong. But it's not so simple in our relationships. But we need to give up on this idea that my single aim is to prove that I am right and you are wrong. And by using this tentative language, we start working towards the team. We start working towards the, the, the we as opposed to the I. Reconciliation. So that's A, acknowledge the conflict. B, we need to bilge your heart. Some of you don't know what the word bilge means. Bilge is the lowest part of a ship or a plane. And especially in the ship's case, what happens is all the water that comes onto the ship and is used to clean down the ship or whatever eventually makes its way to the bottom. And if you can imagine, especially some of these older ships, man, that bilge water at the bottom of the ship is grimy and gross and like the worst place to be. So from time to time, there would need to be a bilge pump and all this gross stuff would need to be pumped out of the bilge. And guys, we need to do that with our own hearts. Before we engage in this conversation, this critical conversation, before we try to work towards reconciliation, we are so often focused on what you did wrong. And so often we need to actually stop and take stock of what's going on in my own heart. And if the Lord shows you, which he'll be gracious to do if you ask him, you'll discover, man, it's not all wonderful in there either. Some of your motives are not entirely pure. Some of your contribution hasn't been too helpful. There's stuff in your heart that is not working towards reconciliation. But so often we actually have no clue what is going on in our own hearts. We don't stop long enough to find out. I've mentioned this to you before, and in fact a number of times over the last couple of years. There is one who does. So if I sound like I'm on a mission, I am on a mission. We need to come to God and say, God, you show me what's in my heart. And be prepared to stop and listen. There's a verse that some of you know quite well, Jeremiah 17, verse nine. The heart is deceitful above all things and above cure. How about assuming that maybe you're also wrong from the beginning because your heart is not 100% righteous. 
But I love how this verse continues. Who can understand it? And verse 10 says, well, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. That allows us to purge some of this gross stuff in our hearts to deal with it, understand how Christ has paid for that, that I am forgiven and that I can engage in this conversation as a forgiven one. Recognizing, man, I'm in equal need of grace as this other person and I can start in a place of grace. One of the ways that we need to do this, and again, sometimes this comes from our, our, our desire to be right. Sometimes it comes from our desire to show how wrong you are and to purge all the stuff in your life as opposed to my life. But it, I would imagine in most conflicts, it's just like you never allow the person to finish speaking. Sometimes what we need to learn to do is just to shut up and listen. Just to stop. And again, I mean, guilty as charged. He has my hand up. I'm listening to the person and I'm working out the rebuttal in my mind, right? But in the, the rare emotionally mature moments, I actually want to hear the heart of the person I'm speaking to. It's not about proving them wrong or right. I want to hear you. I want to understand you. I understand where you're coming from. How have you been experiencing this conflict? How have you experienced me and even if they're wrong, which sometimes is going to be the case, it's still about hearing them. And then we've got a meeting of hearts as opposed to a meeting of wills. But we need to acknowledge what is in our hearts first. So acknowledge the conflict A, B, we're gonna build our hearts. C, we're gonna own your contribution. Own your contribution. This is again where we reverse Adam's tendency to cover up, to lie, to, to blame others. Remember God's first question, Adam, where are you? Come take responsibility for the situation. Don't blame your wife, don't blame me, don't blame the devil. Adam, this is on you. And when we do this, we are reversing what the Adam trend. Maybe objectively, you're only responsible for 20% of the conflict, we'll take 100% responsibility for that 20%. You know, something amazing happens when in a conflict, someone stops and says, okay, here's what I brought. You know what, I, I brought anger. I, I brought pride. Where somebody stops the tide of attack and actually says, you know what, I did, I did gossip. I did go around spreading this untruth. I was angry with you. I did try and hurt you. I did try and ruin your reputation. And something amazing happens. It's almost like at that moment of humility and faith, the, the whole tide of the conversation changes. That now gives the other person permission. You don't expect it. You don't like, well, I've said it, now it's your turn. I said, this is what I brought. And so often, it provides space for the other person to own their part of the contribution. Let's talk about D. Let's talk about desire. This is where you talk about what you want. It's so good in a relationship to show that you're still for this person. Someone in our life group was just talking about how in marriage, that's just, I just want to remind you, we're on the same team here. I'm for you. Speak out loud. I, I'm for our friendship. I'm for our relationship. 
I'm for our marriage. Yes, we need to deal with this bilging stuff. But I, I, I want a stronger relationship. I want a stronger marriage. I want reconciliation. Speak out your desire. That again does wonders in conflicts. This also is the place where you get to speak about some of what you need out of the relationship. Again, in counseling, people would talk about there's different ways to speak to one another. There's kind of child-child who are just both so immature. And there's sort of adult-child communication where one always looks up to the other, the other always looks down to the other. And it comes out in how we speak. And then there's ultimately where most of us want to be, which is adult-to-adult communication. And one of the more difficult things in adult-to-adult communication is to look someone else in the eye and say, here's what I need from you. Next time you're angry, please just tell me what it's about. Next time you've had a tough day at work, please just let me know. Let me know you need, you know, to just blow off some steam. You need to go to the gym. Just let me into your world. Here's what I need from you. I need you to help around the house more. I need you to help around with the kids more. I need you. And we actually become mature by speaking out what we need, what we desire from the other person. In that process, we're also describing boundaries. We're also starting to say, well, here's what I need from you. But next time you come home from work and you take it all out on me, I'm not gonna be part of that. We're speaking out our needs. We're speaking out our desires. We're helping the other person understand where we're at. And finally, let's talk about E, and that is our effort. See, we need to know what I'm sorry looks like. I mean, you've seen it. You've seen it with kids. You've seen it in yourself. You've seen it in your marriage. Where it's so easy to sometimes say, it's not easy, but it's, it's easier. Oh, I'm sorry. And nothing changes. Ah, okay, I'm sorry again. Nothing changes. I'm sorry. And of course, we learned last week that the Bible calls us to forgive many times. But in order to actually go beyond that to reconciliation, we need to know what repentance looks like, where I'm thinking differently, I'm behaving differently. And we're going to put in effort for that. Here's what I'm going to do. Speak that out. This is an opportunity for clarity. All right, next time I come home from work and I've had a bad day, here's what I'm gonna try and do to you. Here's what I'm gonna try and say. Here's what I'm gonna try and accomplish. Of course, I may not get it right the first hundred times, but at least I know where I'm going. For me, it meant a number of years ago, just an unresolved issue in my life. Well, that was constantly coming up, resulting in conflict. Well, I commit to going to counseling which requires money, requires time, requires commitments. But here is the effort I'm gonna put in. Here's what repentance looks like in this scenario. This is all about making it right, not just saying I'm sorry. I heard a story about a pastor the other day who was uh, talking about how he discovered in this church that he was at that there was this rumor going out about him. Uh, in some cases, the rumors are true. In this case, the rumor was not true. So he discovered the root and he went straight to this person who started spreading this untruth about him and he confronted this person. And this person had the grace to admit, yes, you're right, that was me. And I acknowledge the fact that I've hurt your reputation. I acknowledge the fact that I've hurt you. This pastor said, you know, it was actually so great for a change to have somebody own up to what they had done. 
But as he was telling the story years later, he just had this very human thought, kind of even expressing, I almost felt immature having this thought. But as this person went away, he just thought to himself, you know what, I'm so glad that you just owned up to this. I'm so glad that you said that was you. I'm so glad you asked me to forgive you. But as he walked away, he says, well, but, but I bet you what's not going to happen is, I bet you this guy is not going to go around to everyone he said untruth to about me and set things right. And in most cases, that doesn't happen. So in terms of resolving conflicts, what does that effort look like? How do we make things right? Communicate that to that person so we understand our expectations. Repentance is always going to come at a cost. But, but isn't that what we've been saying throughout this entire series? Isn't that why it's so hard for us to forgive? Isn't that why it's so hard for us to reconcile? Because there's been this debt and somebody needs to deal with it. I don't think this is going to be on the screen, but I just want to remind you that whenever we talk about this, we look at the God who reconciles and we look at how this God reconciled. 2 Corinthians 5 verses 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You've probably heard that verse so many times. But listen to where it goes to from there. It's in the context of reconciliation. Guys, that we can expect new creation in our relationships. We can experience what God provides in our relationships. He goes on to say, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, listen to this, not counting men's sins against them, but he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. This is what God has done. And he has given us a ministry, not just for some, for all of us. All of us have been given the ministry of reconciliation, understanding that we are new beings in Christ. There are new possibilities, there is new grace. New mercies for us every single day. Now, as we start wrapping up here, I understand that because of the complexity of your relationships and your difficulties and your conflicts, maybe I haven't addressed some of what you're thinking, what you're struggling with right on. Maybe you've got more questions than answers. I hope in many ways you've covered like the sort of the basic concepts here, the basic ideas of who God is, what he's done for us and how we can act that out. But I just want to talk briefly about the fact that full relational reconciliation is not always possible and sometimes it is not advisable. Remember that verse from last week, Romans 12, 18. If at all possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It's not always possible. Yes, we're going to continue to forgive, sometimes 70 times, seven times. But forgiveness takes one person, reconciliation takes two people. And sometimes you've gone through all that effort and the other person is still unwilling. Well, we continue to forgive, but sometimes full relational reconciliation is not possible. But sometimes it's not advisable. And I know because I've had people speak to me about context where there's been sexual and physical abuse. No, you're not gonna leave your grandchildren in the hands of this person who has done this to you. No, yes, you can forgive. Sometimes forgiving, incredible. I, I cannot even imagine some of the pains and some of the hurts. Sometimes that forgiveness process is gonna feel like grieving and going through these stages of grieving. But the point of forgiveness is ultimately freedom, so it's worth it. 
And I imagine some of you have had unthinkable things done to you. Maybe you feel you don't have it in you to forgive, but this is why we trust on the God who is in us to do that. But sometimes it is not advisable to go into full reconciliation. That's where we need wisdom. That's where we need the counsel of many around us so that we know we're making the best decisions here. Sometimes we're actually dealing with someone that we need to forgive, but they've died. So yes, in that case, reconciliation is not possible, but going through the process of forgiveness is still possible. Sometimes the person you need to reconcile with is yourself. Yes, I know God's forgiven me. I know he's forgiven me or she's forgiven me. I just don't know if I can forgive myself. And sometimes forgiving yourself is like that 70 times seven. I forgive myself today. Tomorrow I feel okay. The next day I need to forgive myself again, right? But we're walking towards freedom and the grace that God gives us. Guys, over the last four weeks, we've been talking about relationships. We've been looking at the God who made the first move. We've been looking at the God who paid the cost. We've been looking at the God who leans in, who doesn't lean out. We've been looking at the God who calls us to reconciliation, who bears responsibility for the relationship. And I'm hoping that either it's already happened or you're in the process of starting to make the first move, starting to count the cost, starting to step into the difficult place. Why? Because you're for the relationship and you trust that God can take this to greater and higher levels. One of the ways that we want to encourage some of the difficult relational hurts that we've got, even some of the more extreme cases of pain, is a program that we've started running here at Riverside Community Church called The Journey South Africa. We've just finished 20 weeks, so the next time we're gonna do this is next year. Man, I, I wish every single one of you could do this course. One of the more painful parts about this journey is that it helps you purge your own heart first before you look at the pain of others. And, and if you're just struggling in a place of unforgiveness, even if it's for self, or if you've been hurt so deeply and you just find yourself completely unable to move on, or if maybe you're the one who's causing the wreck around everyone else, or all of the above, I want to strongly encourage you that next time we start talking about the journey next year, that you guys take a commitment to be part of that, to allow God to show grace in your life, to bring a new heart into that relationship. So guys, as we end off, Bianca mentioned earlier that, man, we wanna pray for you. And I wanna ask that, if you're here this morning, Charmaine, would you just come up and play some, some keys? If we can all just close our eyes, we're gonna pray. Guys, this is not just, I know it's convenient at the end of the service, we just kind of close in prayer. Let's not see this as a just closing prayer. Let's see this as an opportunity where we respond to the call of God in our lives. Response to His grace. Where we show our dependence on Him. I want to pray for courage for some of you to make that first move. Forgiving. Reconciling having those critical conversations. I want to pray for courage for you to look at your own heart first. And that God will give you the grace to show you how He's dealt with that in your own heart. So Father, we thank You that You are the good Father. 
You are the Father that knowing we would sin again forgives us. You're the good Father. I just think of that prodigal son who went out and did everything against your will. And yet you welcomed him back as a son. Lord, that is how you have reconciled us. You've paid the costs. Thank you that there's no one in this room that you would turn away from as a son or a daughter, regardless of what we've done. Thank you that you lean in. Thank you that you're for us. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you take that beautiful truth and plunge it even deeper into our hearts. We are forgiven ones. We become forgiving ones. And now, Lord, you're speaking to us today about you have reconciled us to yourself and now you're calling us to live out this ministry of reconciliation. So, Father God, I pray for courage for those in this room that you're calling to speak, that you're calling those to lean in, to acknowledge the conflict. God, give us the grace and the power to look at our own hearts and bring that filth before you, to humble us so we come in with that pot of tea and not a sword and a shield. God, it's only your grace that can do that. So God, I pray for more grace. I pray for these relationships that need to be reconciled and dealt with. I pray, Lord, that these would start with grace and end with grace and be saturated with grace in between. I pray for some of those relationships that would be so easily reconciled and yet others that would take time. That you'd give strength and perseverance. Church, don't underestimate the power of reaching out of writing a letter to a son where the offense was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago. Church, don't underestimate the power of grace. Don't underestimate the power of humility, the power of a pot of tea. Don't underestimate what God can do. But I pray for wisdom for those where this it just seems like this reconciliation is not possible. God, equally, I pray for wisdom for those where full relational reconciliation is not advisable. And God, obviously, that'll mean deep hurts and deep pain. So I pray for the grace for forgiveness and freedom, but also wisdom. So God, we leave this series so dependent on you. In Jesus' name. Amen.